Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. How about that? We had college football this weekend. Not good college football, but we had college football. UCLA ran over Hawaii. That was a uh, 44-10 game that really wasn't even that close. And UCLA is going to play LSU next week. That'll be the opener for LSU and second game for UCLA. The Bruins have a chance to improve. We all know the cliche about the most improvement you make is between games one and two. We're going to hear that nonstop. Uh, But I just think the huge red flag in that game for UCLA was the passing game did not look good. DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he's an experienced quarterback now, should be ready to have a big year, but 10 of 20? 50% completion rate? That's not good. For less than 200 yards? That's not good. Hit on a big touchdown pass. That was good, but uh, I just didn't think there was enough there. So we'll see what they do. It'll be interesting. That was the only Pac-12 team in action. Uh, As far as the Mountain West Conference, San Jose State handled Southern Utah easily. Fresno State completely dominated UConn. I don't know what to read into any of those. I think if you struggle, then that's a problem, and it's a red flag. But if you win big, well, you were supposed to. So what does that mean? Maybe you're good, or maybe you just beat a bad team, and you're going to have a mediocre year. But uh, there you go. Hawaii did not look good. That, that, was, that was not good. UCLA just ran right over them. All right, we'll talk more college football as the morning progresses. We're going to have Arizona uh, football coach Jed Fish. PK and I had a chance to uh, talk with him. He made good on his promise when he couldn't talk on Pac-12 Media Day. He did do the phone interview with us, and we'll play that for you coming up next. But right now... The big news, you know, for RSL, Freddie Juarez out on Friday to take an assistant coaching job in Seattle. But it's not clear to me now talking to people whether he signed a two-and-a-half or three-and-a-half-year deal. But he got a lot of security. His deal was up at the end of this year. Uh, well, there was an option for the team with a new owner coming in. He just didn't know how it was going to go. So Freddie is out. And Brian Dunseth joined us to talk about that. Here's Dunny with PK and I. Dunny, good morning. Uh-huh. My man, I like the radio voice. I like the TJ radio voice. Great intro. Great intro. I learned it from watching you, all right? I've been dealing with 20 years. It wears off after a while. (laughs) There you go, PK. It's just like wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. All right, so uh, what happened? Six points out of nine on the week. It didn't seem like a terrible week. There have been worse weeks, and it's awfully late in the week to have a coaching change. There's got to be more than meets the eye here. What's happened? Yeah, um, well, what's what's happened is there's been a decision made between, obviously, the head coach and Freddie Juarez, or the former head coach and Freddie Juarez, and the club. You know, the speculation is going to continue to be out there. I would expect... Uh, there to be more clarity on Freddie's end at the end of the weekend by the time we kick off in Vancouver if uh, if more information at that point hasn't come out publicly. Um, but the reality is something that you and I have talked about. Um, I think what makes this a, a really odd situation is that you are finding Real Salt Lake making moves without an owner in play. Um, obviously, Deloitte Hansen is no longer the owner. Uh, the fact that the club itself is being managed or at least overseen by Major League Soccer to give final approval over all of these decisions. Um, and something that, DJ, you and I have been talking about, the opportunity of this group in particular and what Elliot Fall, Tony Beltran, and to a certain extent, Kurt Schmidt have done with this group of players and the fact that there's so much hope this is a playoff team 
And when we assess it from the outside, I think when you assess it internally, you're looking at a club that, while in a playoff spot, I think everyone feels like could do better. I mean, it's something that you and I talked about last night on Talking Real. When you look at the when you look at the standings in the Western Conference where Real Salt Lake is, yeah, it's perfectly acceptable. You're in a playoff spot. But then you look at the goal differential and you look at the teams above them with more points, a zero goal differential, a negative one goal differential. These are these are these are managing minutes and the end of matches that have come up short. And whether we want to talk about the players, which ultimately they hold the accountability, or you're talking about the inability to affect positive change with the substitutions available and the tactics. And, DJ, something you and I were talking about even last weekend in Colorado, how Robin Frazier switched his formation the moment they got the game-tying goal, and four minutes later, five minutes later, they get the game-winning goal. Um, I think there's there was questions. There was questions about the future. Uh, and, and just for clarity, Freddie Juarez was in the final four months of his deal. Um, so I think there was an option on the side of Real Salt Lake. I don't think that option would have been extended. Um, and, hey, by the way, we're, we're waiting for some type of official wor- word uh, from Major League Soccer that ownership is effectively, officially changing hands to whatever individual or group um, you know that's just around the corner. So a lot of moving parts, but in terms of the timing, yeah, I was uh, down in L.A. when I first got a little bit of a sniff that there could be uh, change affected here at Rio Tinto Stadium. So they elevate Pablo Mastrini from assistant coach. I don't know that if he's going to be an interim coach, if he's going to be in contention for the head coaching job, but I do believe he should receive a lifetime contract to be the head coach of RSL for as long as he wants, and there is simply one reason. Now, he was born, I believe, in Argentina. His birthday's coming up this weekend, by the way. It's the 29th. He'll be 45. And at age four, he moved to Phoenix, and he attended Thunderbird High School in oh, Phoenix. <laughs> and Dunny, there is one famous person that you know very, very well. He's at the top of his game who attended Thunderbird High School, and that would be PK. Oh, I love it. I love it. I well, so I'm in the same company as well because Mark McGuire went to my high school. Oh, there I just you go. don't have his wallet. So I, 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 love the, uh, I love the train of thought there. Listen, Pablo, um, just to be clear, you know, Pablo, a uh, former teammate of mine at, uh, at uh, I almost said Inter Miami, Miami Fusion, back when it was a champagne life on a beer budget for the previous ownership group in Miami. And I can tell you as a competitor, as a teammate, there's, the guy you hate and the guy you love. And the guy you hated was because secretly you loved him and you wanted to play alongside of him and you respected the way he played the game. I am a huge advocate of Pablo Mastrani. And I think from his time of retirement to stepping on the field as a, as an interim head coach to getting the job at the Colorado Rapids to subsequently um, being unceremoniously let go. Um, I was always wondering what his next move would be. Now, he spent last year down with Tab Ramos uh, and Omid Namazi uh, in Houston. I don't think that relationship, that working relationship worked out, hence the move to Salt Lake. I think he made Freddie better. No disrespect to Tyrone Marshall, who had taken the job out at FC Cincinnati as the U19 head coach. Uh, But Pablo, it's kind of like, and, and I knew this was... I know RSL didn't want to think about it this way, but 
for us, PK, the same way DJ and I looked at Mike Pecky being hired for the Real Monarchs the moment that Jeff Kassar was still the head coach. Yeah. It's that, that feeling of uh, it was inevitable that at some point, if a change was made, well, that's why you brought Pablo in because you have a ready-made head coach. Now, what I've been told is that there are multiple candidates. Um, there is m- more than what you have on your at least one hand um, that the coaching search is underway. Pablo, it will be the interim right now, and Pablo will be interviewed for the job. Um, the job is not 100% his. They are going to look at a bunch of different candidates, and if Pablo is the best candidate, then obviously he will be the front runner. He already has the end. He knows the club. The club knows him. They know his personality. He has a he has a head coaching resume already. So that makes all the sense in the world. Um, but again, I've been told that this club is going to do its due diligence and make the right decision for the future of the club, which is something underneath previous ownership. Um, this will be interesting to watch because PK and DJ, as we know, it's never been the best candidate that's been hired for Real Salt Lake since the departure of Jason Christ. It's always been financially the cheapest and the easiest hire for Deloitte Hansen. It's Jeff Kassar when you could have had Robin Frazier. Mike Pecky when you could have had Giovanni Savarese or Josh Wolf. Uh, Freddie Juarez because he was underneath the umbrella and he'd been with the club and he deserved, you know, some would say the opportunity. Um, but Freddie was an exquisite developer um, and assistant coach. So it's a, it's a big chance. It's a big chance for Real Salt Lake, uh, Elliot Fall, everybody, Rob Zarcos, Kurt Schmidt, Tony Beltran, everyone behind the scenes to choose what could be uh, one of the most important decisions outside of what a new owner looks like for the club. There is Brian Dunseth. We did have some phone issues with him. Hope to have more with him. And we will have more uh, on RSL in Vancouver coming up in an hour and what is trending. Right now, though, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jed Fish, Arizona football coach. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk Arizona football with Jed Fish, the head coach of the Wildcats. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Sorry I wasn't able to do it uh, at the media day. My voice uh, wasn't cooperating with me back then. Well, Coach, if you would have been at media day and we were down there, we broadcast all day. College football up in Salt Lake City is huge, as you can imagine, particularly with the Utes getting into the Pac-12. But you would have gone face-to-face as somebody who's one of your own because this is PK, and I got extensive roots in North Jersey to the point, Coach, my sister, two, I got two older sisters, one went to Morris Catholic High. I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Yeah, wow. Well, Coach, I'm not going to stop there. My other sister, Hanover Park High School. No way. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. From Hanover 
all the way to Utah, down to Tucson. It's like a big triangle. That is a big triangle. That's awesome. That is but, awesome. My mom still lives there. So oh, that's, cool. Uh, that's, yeah. She lives in yeah. Morristown still. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Well, before you think that you and I can be friends, you did what most people in Jersey do. You went to Florida. My parents, between 8th and ninth grade, they decided to move to Arizona. And here's where the bad news comes in, Coach. I'm an Arizona State grad. Oh boy! Just when I thought we had something going, you know, I, I thought that, I thought we had a chance there, and now I don't no. know what we do anymore. Well, I just had to set the ground rules ahead of time, so we're sort of brothers, but then we had a we kind of went our separate ways. Yes, exactly. That's okay, though. That's all right. We'll we'll figure out what we can do to make it work here, um, and and see if we can uh, help you guys out a little bit with. What's going on with football? I'm curious what it's like for you trying to uh, fit in in Arizona, figure out how things are. I mean, it's something you have experience with. I look at your resume, and you have spent about a quarter of a century bouncing to every corner of the country. You've uh, you've coached in Florida, you in in college and the pros. Most recently, you were at the Patriots. I think people are aware of that. You've been in the middle of the country coaching in Michigan. You've been out to UCLA. So, is this second nature? Do you have to go in somewhere and figure out a new place and new people? <laughs> yeah, you know the 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 easy part is for me. Um, it's obviously always more challenging for my wife and kids um, as they don't have the really the ability to just kind of lock yourself in an office and be around football. you know a bunch of football coaches and have immediate friends um they have to actually do the hard work and meet friends and go to school and um my, you know my wife has to meet parents of kids and other people in the community and find doctors etc but um you know we have we have done it a, a few times and uh we've been on different teams at different universities or different professional teams and um, we've really enjoyed our moves. We've enjoyed our time and meeting new people. We always feel that's a huge benefit for our own kids. Um, that when they're when it's all said and done, you know, I've been an offensive coordinator in the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the NFL. Um, so, and I've coached in uh, all those conferences as well as the SEC. So, you sit there and you're like, you know, you girls are going to have a lot of opportunities in life. And uh, you should know somebody from some walk of life somewhere along the line. So I've been following Arizona football along with the Sun Devils, obviously, and the whole Pac-12 since they went to from uh, the two Arizona schools went into the Pac-10 back in the late 70s. As I watched the football team last year, you know, well, the rivalry game, that, that got away, obviously. But as I look at the Arizona game with the USC, man, that was right down to the end. And if, uh, the Trojans were fortunate, very fortunate to get out of there. I saw Plummer play a little bit, Bandy. And so I know there's some talent there. What type of talent do you have going into this season to be able to be competitive as far as what you're looking for? Yeah, well, you know, there, there's two things to that. The first thing is we certainly, um, you know, we really were a minute and a half away, down three or up three points against yeah. SC, 30-27 or whatever it might have been. Had a chance to make an interception at the end of the game. Didn't do it. Uh, don't, don't win the game. But I, I think there's a feeling of competitiveness for sure at that moment in time. Uh Whatever happened throughout the rest of the year, I'm not really aware of that. I wasn't here. 
Um, what I do know, though, is we've got some good returning players. We also brought in 18 transfers. Um, so we hit the transfer portal pretty hard. Um, 18 of our 117 players transferred in. Seven of our, let's call it, starters on defense uh, transferred in from other programs. Um, so we kind of, we're not going to look very similar to the team of last year. And then on, uh, in terms of our personnel defensively, offensively, I think we, you know, our quarterback, Gunnar Cruz, transferred in from Washington State. He and Will Plummer will show some time. Um, our running back, we've got, um, you know, Michael Wiley returning, but then we've also brought a couple freshmen that, have, that are competing, and then we brought a running back in from Northwestern that transferred in, who is the leading rusher at Northwestern. And then we've got a tight end that transferred in from UNLV. And um, then we've got all of our receivers have returned. So I do believe that uh, the team won't look exactly the same as it looked in the past. So, and you mentioned all the starters on defense that have transferred in. The the rep, and reps aren't always accurate, but there's usually some truth to them. The rep on Arizona was, no matter what they did on defense, it doesn't matter if you don't make the tackle, and they just missed too many tackles. Have you, have you made that a major emphasis here out of the gate? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that was the rep. But what I did know was, um, you know, when you come from working for Bill Belichick, you understand the importance of fundamentals and you understand the importance of tackling. And uh, we practice tackling every day in the NFL. So we practice it twice every day here in college. So we are, um, we're tackling Jesse's. And we do everything we can to, to practice tackling, to drill tackling, to work on tackling, and to do everything to become good tacklers. Now, until you actually go against another team, and until you're tackling live every play, all the things that go involved, go into it, you'll never know. But we got to build it the right way. We got to build it with you know a tough physical mindset, and that's going to come from. Um, you know, no one had to tackle and no one had to run the football. And if you can run the ball and stop the run, you got a chance to be pretty physically tough. Oh yeah, that's that's been Kyle Whittingham's uh, mantra for literally his whole life. I think since he came from the womb, run the ball and stop the run. So we know all about that. He's drilled that into our heads, and we've been doing this show almost twenty years. So we've been on the radio as long as he's been a head coach here. We understand that. You talk about splitting time with these quarterbacks, and obviously you got BYU, you got Utah later in the season, but you got the Cougars, who we also cover intensely here in our market, and you got them right off the bat. When you say you're going to a split time with the quarterback. Do you have a set plan? You can or take it how it goes. Um, you know, there's a let's call it like an overall outline of how we can you know make it work. Um, this is not the first time that I've been on a team that's done that. Uh, we did it at Florida when we won the SEC championship in 2000 um, with Jesse Palmer, Rex Grossman. Did it in Florida when we. Um, came in, I think we beat the number one team in the country in Florida State with Noah Brindis and Duck Johnson alternating reps. Um, and then there, we did it at Michigan in 2016 in our first game with John O'Corn and Wilton State. Uh, I think what it just comes down to is we just need to make sure that um, the person that's starting we're most comfortable with, I don't want them looking over their shoulder and thinking that they're named the starter and if thing doesn't go well, all of a sudden they're benched. Um, I don't think that's the right way to handle that. I think it's a much better situation when you have two guys that both competed really hard and let them both go and let them both see how it goes and 
we'll take one game at a time. So I read a story that said that um, you really, this was kind of plan B. You would have rather picked somebody, but you didn't feel like you could look the guys in the eye and explain to them what the difference was. So, yeah. You know, I, I just felt as if it was a situation that it was easy to tell the person who the starter was. The problem was telling the guy why he wasn't the starter. And, I, you know, when you don't really have a great reason, I just don't feel like you should do it. Uh, you know, we're in year one here, and we're building trust and respect for one another. Um, we talk about, you know, respect being our number one value here. And I, I just didn't feel like, you know, going there and just telling a guy because I said so or because I felt that way was a good enough reason. And I just um, – I, I, I feel like we're – We've got two young players. They both have four years of eligibility left, and each. And we also are um, we're in year one, and I just feel it's more important right now to do what I would consider the right thing than just what I would have considered the easy thing, and just name a guy. So, because of my association with Arizona, I got forty years in this thing, and I can I can recite all the good things and the bad things. And one of the things, and it's the Devils have struggled with it too, and I harp on it a lot. It's the in-state recruiting. I mean, I can look at the quarterback at Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oregon, Texas Tech. Those guys, Ohio State's got one. They're all kids within the state. And it's hard to keep these kids. Now, I understand you got a four-star linebacker commit. I know you can't talk about it the other day out of California. I think you got like 15 commits so far, something along those lines. Or maybe 22 commits. I don't, I don't remember. I read when I read the story. But you got a lot of commits. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of enthusiasm. You managed to have a bunch of students out at the uh, game. You brought back the alumni and Teddy Bruschi and a couple of guys on your staff. How do you think all of that is going to be able to translate into be able to keep kids home? Because there's a lot of talent in this state, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And it's become a huge priority for us. Um, of the guys that have transferred to us, um, I think seven of them are from the state of Arizona that have come back um, from, you know, Drake Anderson to Gunnar Maldonado to Jason Harris to um, Alex Lyons, to Gunnar Cruz. Um, and then there's, I'm sure there's some others that I'm you know, not popping in my head right now that have got Rossi Hodges and that have transferred back here um, from the state. We also obviously are attacking recruiting pretty hard in the state um, currently. We, both of our quarterbacks, uh, Gunnar and Will, are from the state of Arizona. Um, Gunnar went to Washington State, came back. Will came here immediately. Um, but we, we need to do it. There, there's no reason, you know, there's no reason not to go to Arizona. If you're from Arizona, um, you know, if you're going to pick a state school, if you're going to go to a state school, why wouldn't you go to a state school in this state? It's a lot easier for your parents. Um, your parents don't have to fly. Your parents don't have to rent a car. Your parents don't have to rent a hotel room or get a hotel room. Um, you get to be the person that waves the flag for your university. And if we can turn this thing around, get to a Rose Bowl, and you're the when you want to when you're done with football and you're going to go back and live in Arizona, you could be part of the you know class that won the Rose Bowl. And if you go win a Rose Bowl with another team, you know at another institution, then no one's going to really care when you come back to the state of Arizona. They're going to ask you why you didn't go to Arizona. So that's what our mentality is, and that's what our you know that's what we're selling. And um, we got guys like Rob Gronkowski and Teddy Bruschi and 
um, on board with us and that hasn't been really easy. We hired Chuck Cecil and Ricky Hunley and Brandon Sanders, and um, we feel really good about you know the energy and the enthusiasm around the program. The Gronk stuff was uh, genius. Congratulations on that. That was brilliant. We could. Uh, we know you got another commitment. You got to run. Uh, PK could talk Jersey with you for the next. Well, half in hour. the meantime, we'll go Hornets, that. right, Coach? <laughs> go Hornets. And I mean, is it is it a diner for you? Is it a pizza spot? What, I mean, what, what's your favorite place? About, uh, what's your favorite thing about Jersey? Oh, he wants to go. Oh, Jersey. Oh my God. Well, my mother's Italian, so that ought to tell you. Uh, yeah, well, it's certainly the Italian food. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> I, I got, I'm cut from the Parcells clone. My father was all Irish, grandmother all Italian, and they met uh, down in the Oranges. So uh, anything along those lines, or or heading down to the boardwalk and picking up a cheesesteak. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thanks guys for your time. Uh, thank you. All right. Bye bye. There's Arizona football coach Jed Fish. When we come back, David Locke talking jazz, talking Big 12 and BYU. David will hijack the show. That will happen next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to bring in David Locke, his weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. How are you? Well, I'm all right. Um, I need your insight. I want I want your thoughts, or I want I want you to tell me if I'm wrong. That's not so how read, sports talk radio works, and you know it, Dave. I know, but you know what? I don't play by the rules. You know that. No, um, that's so true. that's a good big, point. <laughs> big Big Twelve expansion. Um. So my quick take is the Big Twelve at this point is really not any different than the Mountain West, right? Like Oklahoma State is San Diego State, and Texas Tech is Boise State, and it's not that different. So it's not great. It's kind of going back to where you went started from. But the reality is you can't go back to where you started from because you just would have to be eating too much crow. So this is the and – and have we decided that guys like me that were really big crow independence guys were wrong? Like have we come to that conclusion that independence is not viable? Or is it – or does that – does independence become more – the right choice because 
you know, it's just all these power conferences and you're better off being independent if you're not going to be in one of the four. Well, I think that brands are powerful, and I think the Big 12 is a even watered down. It's a better brand than the Mountain West, so I just don't think they're they're the same thing. I'd like to think that because I still, you know, there's a piece of me that still likes to watch San Diego State football in those black and red uniforms. But, I mean, realistically, the, the Big 12 is a better spot, and I think the networks will pay them a lot more money than they're ever going to pay the Mountain West. So... I guess I have to reject your initial assumption. Right. What do you think, PK? Okay. Well, I think you have to consider the financial aspects of it. BYU, for this last decade, clearly made more money as an independent than they would have been as a part of the Mountain West. And will they make more money as a member of the new Big 12, which isn't the same as this, the Big 12 as we know it, obviously, but it still has contracts and then going forward can get a better contract than they could as an independent or as a member of the Mountain West. And I think the answers to that question are yes. So that's why you do it. Who's the, I haven't got all the details. Who's the, is there another player or two or three? Yes. Like to make this yes, work? Who, yes. What are the other pieces of the puzzle? Well, Cincinnati, Houston, uh, Central Florida is a sleeping giant down there because they want, and Memphis possibly, they Central Florida wants big time. And obviously, that gives you a pipeline down there and uh, gives you all sorts of credibility, I think. Is, is Boise State, I agree okay, with all Boise, that. I think sure, is yeah, Boise, Boise State interested uh, for basketball scheduling? It would certainly help. Um, but I just think for brands and TV value in football, it would help because you'd have two teams and only, you know, one can be home every other week that would enable you to have games in that fourth TV window, which makes your contract worth more money. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, the whole old school idea that having Central Florida and BYU being far away from each other and that's a problem is actually now a positive because of the fact mm, that then you have different TV windows. It's both at the same time. Uh, it is a positive and it is a negative. I, I didn't realize this until I was reading up on it, but a lot of the teams in Big 12, especially Oklahoma and Texas, who are now out, but a lot of teams have been complaining about the 11 a.m. kickoffs the same way we complain about 8.30 kickoffs here. So... The, it would be a far-flung league, and that's a problem. But if you have a team in the Eastern Time Zone, they can kick off at noon, and then you don't have to kick off in that at eleven o'clock. So right. um, I don't mean to be like I don't mean to be like uh, the West Coast ignorant ignoramus here. Um, are any of the other schools in the East Coast Time Zone that you're mentioning? I don't think so, right? Since unless Cincinnati, Cincinnati's not, are they? Cincinnati? Are they? Uh, I thought that's. I mean, I know Kentucky. That's plays right on it. That weird. Cleveland they is. They play around with like they switch, right? Cleveland is. Kentucky switch. Cleveland is east. Yeah. I know that for sure. So I assume Cincinnati is too. Right. Their eastern time zone. Right. So, right. So, I mean, really, what you're saying, I mean, I understand that they have to do Houston because of the Texas politics of this whole thing. But what they really should be doing is adding two east and two mountain, and then they span three time zones, and then yeah. they at least have something. Cincinnati is Eastern Daylight. So Cincinnati could kick off at noon, so just c- like UCF. So Cincinnati, Central Florida, Boise. BYU and now you've blown great. off Houston and you've just messed up the politics. Or do you go right. to a thirteen-team so league? You can't do it. You can't do it. So it's BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, Central well, Florida is the right answer. And BYU's traveling partner has to become somebody in Texas, and it sucks. Well, they've sort of done away with traveling partners now with basketball. A lot of leagues have. A lot of leagues yeah. have. It's not like it used to be Thursday, Saturday, New Mexico and El Paso. No. It's a true story. Okay. Yeah. 
It's interesting. I mean, I you know, clearly the Big 12 has got to do something to survive, right? They're on the island and they're building their hut, so they better they better figure out what it's going to be or they're um and that, you know, what you're talking about makes probably the most sense of anything and frankly the you know, these are my point of views here are all from 30,000 feet. I'm not following it closely other than maybe reading an article or frankly listening to various lockdown podcasts. Just nice plug, that, good work. Well, no, I mean truly that is my knowledge like I'm just reviewing the network and just happened to be listening to like locked on ACC or locked on Big 12 this week and listened to what they said. I mean the feeling from the Big 12 guys was wow, they didn't really announce anything, thank goodness. I thought this was going to be our death nail. And the reaction from the ACC people were like, wow, they didn't announce anything. I don't know what this is. So I think, you know, the timing's right to still stay alive a little bit. If you're BYU, though, I think that we've been talking about how independence was something that clearly Bronco Mendenhall didn't want, and he took off. He took off for more cash, too. Uh, And then all the people who have been hired since know full well, as relative to football, that this is exactly what you're getting into, so you better make it work and don't take the job. And so when Kalani got the job, they saddled him with some people that maybe weren't as experienced as they should be, and they sucked. They got through that, and that now seems like the program's in a better spot, uh, and the Big Twelve isn't in as good of a spot. So, with that in mind, before with Texas and Oklahoma, it's a no-brainer. But now, not so sure that necessarily it's in BYU's best interest. Probably is, but it isn't the slam dunk that it was. I mean, the one thing I think was really clear where I, you know. I was a huge proponent of independence. Like, I really thought this was the answer for BYU and still think there's a lot of reasons why it is. The one thing I think I missed, but I'm not sure matters, is how detrimental the WCC was to the other sports. And I feel like that hurt them. Like, so being part of the Big 12 across the board might be really great. Okay. That probably yeah. doesn't move the meter of importance because, frankly, it's... It's all about football. World. It's all about football. Yeah. Right. Well, I think basketball, men's basketball was hurt by the WCC, but I'm not sure. I think other sports have flourished and done just fine. I mean, soccer team just beat USC, and the volleyball team's been going Sweet 16, Elite 8, so. Okay. In both. Men's and women's. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Men's men's is a whole different deal as far as conference alliances. I mean, there's no question – I guess what I was really trying to say, and I probably just stated a little too strongly, there's no question being part of the Big 12 better than being part of the WCC. Well, I think that's even a in the big, even in yeah. the Big 12 reduced state. Like, there's just that's not a debate. Yeah, Tom will have to do the math on what the travel costs turn into if he's flying teams all over the place. Uh, but I assume that the TV money is going to at least double, and maybe more than that. Maybe, maybe get close to tripling or two and a half times. Um, you know, that all needs to be figured out in the next TV contract, so it can't be known for sure right now. But I think well, you can, if you want basketball, it's an absolute no brainer. Texas Tech has been to the end, uh, Baylor's right. won it. It'll be a great Oklahoma basketball league. State's decent. Kansas is very good, obviously. Kansas State has had a run. It'll be a great That's basketball great. league. And, and you know what? I think Mark Pope's probably up to the challenge, so it'll be great. I believe he is. I um, agree with that. Um,. I think the um, I think the interesting. I mean, that's incredible. Actually, when you kind of say it like that, that's really incredible, right? Like you'd have all this here. All right, so let's go back to Pac-12 expansion. Like we knew the math. Like it was, I remember, like walk, that covering that so closely, and like the 
you just had these moving pieces, and it was really evident, and it was obvious it was going to happen, and it was obvious, like, well, if Texas and Oklahoma come, Utah's in trouble. If they don't come in Colorado, it was clear Colorado was coming, right? And so, like, how do you become – if Texas and Oklahoma came at the time, I think it was that Oklahoma State had to come also, and then Colorado came and you knew Utah was out of luck. And then there was, like, the pieces, right? And you just knew Utah was, like, the perfect piece to go with Colorado – and so if Colorado was going to go and nobody else came, you knew Utah was in. Like, you just had to be in the right place. So the scenario we're talking about of, like, Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU doesn't fit right. Like, is there a fourth – who knocks BYU out of this equation that becomes the fourth team that fits better? Like, the, the problem what we're talking about here is that BYU doesn't actually have that, like, Colorado tie-in. I think that matters. It. I think that matters less. And the last go-round – I was told that BYU was number 11, but they couldn't figure out who 12 was. And we had a guy on from Texas, a beat writer, a columnist down there. Maybe y'all can remember who it was. And I asked him, I said, I heard, I've heard that. And he said, I've heard that too. I think the money for BYU is so overwhelming. I just, I think this league has to go to 12, and there's no way there's four teams more valuable than BYU. There's no, there's no well, way. yeah, but wait a second here, man. You got the Sunday issue. You got the social issues with the LGBTQT mm-hmm. and all that. So does that outweigh, does the money outweigh what would some perceive as well, baggage? I believe it does, but I don't think that uh, I can prove that. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who's the fourth team that knocks BYU out? I don't think there is one. Well, Boise. Oh, they're not taking Boise over BYU. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be the worst moment in BYU history. Oh my God! Could you imagine what nasty youth fans would do to Cougars? It'd be like T-shirts. I chose Boise over BYU. Big Twelve Conference. Uh, well, yeah, but if they decide the Sunday play and the the talk by the church leader earlier this week riled up a bunch of folks. And I don't think it's out of the realm. I mean, Boise's off the top of my head. I don't know that. No, it's not out of the realm. That's a little bit why I think I had that reaction. <laughs> like, I, I would actually, isn't there anybody else? I would just think they wouldn't come Mountain. Like, right, if you're not right. going to take BYU, so who's Well, Memphis. Team? Memphis. Oh, yeah, so that's a real threat. That, to me, is, you know, Central Florida, Memphis, Cincinnati, Houston, and no BYU, that, like... Now, like that's that's daunting. The fact that Boise doesn't have enough clout to make it a no-brainer the way Colorado did. Like the nice thing for Utah is they were second fiddle to the big dog that they wanted, right? They they wanted Colorado, and Utah just happened to be in the right place at yeah. the right time yeah, to get yeah, yeah. in. And they got BYU, in. BYU unfortunately doesn't have that. Like BYU can't play, ride the coattails of another team in the way Utah rode the coattails of Colorado into the Big Twelve. So that's a that's a real problem for BYU that Boise's not not worthy enough of kind of driving this train and making it a no-brainer. Memphis is pretty – Memphis with, like, where they are, location, I – oh, I'm – I hadn't – oh, that's not good. This doesn't feel nearly as good as the conversation when it started, guys. I think they're in trouble. <laughs> the, the mind of David Locke is like <laughs> nobody I've ever known. There's no question about that. <laughs> I don't want to ask why, but, like, really, like, I mean – Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston, Central Florida, that's that works logically. It gives them like what they need. And I'm not sure that BY I mean BYU is brings them a little bit more money, I would guess, and that stadium's gorgeous. And maybe a little some, but DJ's pointed out, like also brings a lot of 
a lot of stuff. Like a lot of like actually, PK pointed and doesn't fit geographically at all. And maybe that would be the strongest if I were building the argument, which I don't think would carry the day. But if I were building the argument that they just don't want to get too far flung and they're gonna focus. Uh, you know, Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, kind of a quarter up the... And, and Florida's a no-brainer. Uh, UCF has had so much success, and the the thought of recruiting there is so tantalizing. Yeah, I actually think geographically, BYU plays to the advantage because you'd want a team in the mountain time zone. Klyovkov has been running around telling everybody, we've got the Pacific and the mountain, Yeah, as if the mountain was some big uh, I know. gold mine. <laughs> I know. I know he has. <laughs> you spend what you got, yeah. and that's what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, so I, I do really think should, the advantage. So what he really should be doing is going and getting the Central Time Zone and grabbing Oklahoma State. And they thought about it the, and then thought for about two seconds and decided to say no. The thing about that is they don't need to do that right now. Oklahoma State will be there whenever they want them. Sure, hundred point. Yeah, great point. Great point. Here's the other thing. How about the Big Twelve think ahead and look ahead? Streaming's coming. Now I don't know if it's twenty thirty, twenty thirty five, but man, by twenty forty. It's not going to be about cable and satellite bundles. Streaming is coming. So BYU is more valuable in a streaming world than it is in the cable satellite world. The ability to get 10 or 20 or 30 or whatever this is going to turn out a month from BYU fans, the 5,000 of them in Tennessee and the 20,000 of them in Arizona who will pay and the 50,000 in LA who will pay and the 5,000 in Idaho will pay I mean, everywhere BYU goes they draw 5,000 fans unless they draw 10 I have a great joke right now but I'm too scared to do it in our climate of jokes so I'm just going to leave it out but they all are meeting in the ward house and they're oh. only paying one person's only paying $20 a month and they're all meeting together so you don't get to you don't get 5,000 they're all just coming together just kidding no I think you're right I think you're 100% right. Like, I think that actually does have both of you just sold. Like, if I'm homo, that's what you're selling, right? You're selling streaming and time zone. And you're literally, I think what you got to actually do is say, hey, we're willing to play every single one of our home games at 7.30 at night. 7.30 whose time? Mountain or whatever, right? So no, it's got to be eight thirty to be in the last two five, eight thirty, whatever, whatever. They're already you know, doing that, right? Not, not every right. game. So, but I mean, that's most. your selling point. Is we're going to take we're we're one hundred percent willing to take the late night window in every single time. It's not in the afternoon anymore. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, play have, that for David Locke. <laughs> find that, find that drop. Come on, you can do it. I'm. I agree with this, by the way. Okay, last thing. One jazz question for you. Uh, there's been some national media out there grading all the free agents, and I was surprised to see the jazz getting graded as an A, as a top 10 and all that, for re-signing their guys and a couple guys who may get, you know, who will get some minutes. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I wasn't surprised they got a favorable but I was surprised it was that over the top, that high, that, wow, yes, boom. What'd you think? So I think they get an A for disaster averted would be my first take, right? There was a real <laughs> chance this offseason could have been catastrophic. Uh, um, so well, I finally um, got I, A's in school if that was the grading. <laughs> disaster averted. Right? Well, no, right, wins. I, I, PK, you and I should have been graded on that scale. Like every time I took an English test, there was a real chance for now. Um, 
uh, spelling tests, there were like anything above C minus should have been an A, like just for survival sakes. Um, and any grammar test, I certainly, anyway. Um, so I do think that disaster averted gives them a pretty good grade. Like they kept themselves in the top two or three teams in the Western conference from projection standpoint. Um, number two, um, I'm really curious to watch us on white side. Like my instinct is that I actually think he's going to be better than Derek favors. Um, because he's just bigger and longer. And so we play the drop big with him and just matches more naturally. And he's just as good an offensive rebounder, maybe at times better. Um, I just don't know if there's a chance his knees are just gone. Like I, my feeling is he didn't play in Sacramento because of Sacramento, not because he didn't play in Sacramento because he's not very good anymore. Um, and he was really good a year before in Portland. So my instinct there is we actually got better. Um, that might be wrong. I mean, you, whoever plays backup center to the Jazz just looks so bad because the starting center is the best, one of the best defensive players in the history of the game and is so great at everything he does that you look so bad in comparison. So, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know what the analogy would be. I could use some sexist terminology of somebody being a co-star to Halle Berry in the 90s, right? But... um it just like Rudy's so great that Derek looked not very good all year, and I don't actually know that Derek wasn't very good or just Rudy's that great. Um, so I do kind of feel like Hassan Whiteside might be an upgrade there, and then I think Rudy Gay adds a versatility to the roster that we didn't have. So it, they probably deserve a pretty good grade in disaster averted. They re-signed Mike Conley. They didn't lose any starters. They didn't lose any main rotation players. They added roster versatility, and I think they might have upgraded at backup center, which is hard for me because I love Derek, but I think he just wasn't didn't feel very good last year. But, again, I, that just, again, could be because Rudy's so great that nobody looks very good. Well, I think if you take that to its natural conclusion, David, it's that the Jazz perimeter defense is worse than we know because Gobert covers up so much that we don't 100%. realize right away. I mean, so this is this. So... I've talked about this a lot, but I'll just I'll do a short version of it if I'm actually possible for me to do so. DJ's chuckling. TK's saying not a chance. <laughs> and Jake so, wanted to go to break three minutes ago. Go ahead. Yeah, whatever. Two and, a half, <laughs> two and a half years ago, we made five roster changes that were all offensive changes away from defensive players. It was the correct thing to do as a team because the great defensive team just simply wasn't good enough offensively to be able to beat a good offensive team. We even though the defense had a great night, our offense just wasn't up good enough. So since then, over the last two seasons, whenever Rudy's been off the floor, we have just been horrific defensively. And that's what we built. And the concept was that Rudy could cover it up. And they built it 100% right. But that is the issue, is that it may not matter who the center is if they're not the greatest defensive player in the world because we got our defense just can't stop anyone unless it's Rudy doing it and that's what became so obvious in game six against the Clippers and when they removed Rudy while he was on the floor from the action we got exposed they basically did you know what was clear is that we're not good defensively unless Rudy's impacting everything and they eliminated Rudy's impact so yes did we address that issue I don't think so so that'll still be but there's a very you know the unfortunate thing was that we ran into the one team that could expose it I'm actually not sure there was another team in the NBA that could have exposed it the way the Clippers did. And I'm not sure they could have exposed it if Serge Ibaka hadn't gotten hurt, frankly. Like there was some fortuitous stuff for them as well that, you know, they lost one of their guys. And so they kind of were forced into this. Um, 
But Phoenix would have kept DeAndre Ayton on the floor. The Lakers would have kept various players on the floor. And if Anthony Davis wants to spread out to the outside and never come in, that's fine. Um, the Denver with Jokic can't like a limit, can't move him out of the game. I mean, and without Jamal Murray, they wouldn't have been the same. So um, Dallas probably could do it a little bit with Chris Stapps. That was not a matchup I wanted. So you know, in Portland with uh, Nurkic probably couldn't have done it, and Robert Covington wasn't going to really play center. So. Um, uh, you know, so I, I'm not sure there's another team. Draymond can't shoot well enough to do it. So I, I'm not sure there's another team other than the Clippers that could have actually done what they did to us. By the way, quick note: Portland's better than anyone thinks. There. Okay. See you. All right. There's David Locke taking over the show. When we come back, what is trending? All oh, the headlines: College football. We had college football, and uh, you know, a new chapter for ourselves. We'll get to all that coming up. Stay with us.